The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine, or your mobile device, you should be able to find one there uh, near you on the ground. So go ahead and grab those out. Romans chapter 2, we're going to be reading, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to skip a few verses, so, sorry, hold on, let me get there real quick. Romans chapter 2, starting in 21 through 24, and then I'm going to skip a couple verses, 28, 29. So if you're confused of why we skip some, that's okay, we're doing it on purpose. So starting in verse 21. Paul says, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Everyone, this is Stevie Rose. Stevie Rose, say hey to everyone. I'm bringing her up here um, mainly because I just wanted to. (laughs) Have you all see her? She's also kind of this weird kind of illustration of what we're doing in the book of Romans right now. Because the first few weeks of Romans, as we've gone through it, uh, Paul lays out for us that the world's a mess because we're a mess and that the world's a mess because there's people that have sin in their hearts and sin is not something you catch from somebody. It's something embedded in our nature. We tell you all the time that sin is, hey, look out there for the pictures. <laughs> that sin's embedded in us and we're born into this world as sinners. But not her. <laughs> She's perfect. She's messing with all my theology. And all that. So I just wanted you all to meet her and say, hey, her. Denise is going to come and get her right now. I'm going to say goodbye to her because her mom and dad are coming to get here in just a bit. Hey. No, she doesn't like to be held like that. Up in the air? There you go. Thank you, honey. So a quick word then on... What Justin just talked to us about there is that, that brochure in your program that's Vision 24. We don't do church business meetings here, really, but we do have to do a bit of business. And the reason we give this to you in advance, like two weeks in advance of our Vision 24 weekend, is there's things in there that we have to vote on on that weekend. And we're not going to do a church business meeting with Q&A stuff and motions and Robertson's orders. None of that kind of stuff. Give you a chance if you have questions about anything budget-wise, leadership-wise, anything of the direction of the church before we vote on all that stuff in two weeks. Uh, we take about 30 seconds uh, in two weeks to vote on it real quick. 
but we're not going to, we, we want to hear from you if there's any questions or issues or anything like that. So uh, it's there for you to review and look at and then get back to us when, uh, d- during the next couple of weeks, jot us notes on the connection card uh, to let us know about that. Paul writes the book of Romans and it more functions like a script for a great courtroom drama. And in this, what he's done at the beginning of Romans, after some introductory comments, he says things like this. He says, the world's a mess because of the sin in the world, and we're all indicted as humanity. He starts off by just giving a big general indictment on humanity. He talks about the sin, the greed, the murder. Chapter one's all that. And we, good, decent people, maybe not even Christians, look at, oh, yeah, the world's a mess. And we go, that's, that's wrong, and that's, we should fix that and fix that. And he says, yeah, you who... You condemn people and you think they're a jacked up mess, show that you know there's a standard. And the tricky part is they might have an excuse because they don't have the Bible. They didn't get raised in church. They don't know anything. You, you don't have any excuse. And then he turns to the people sitting over here in the jury, right over here in the great courtroom that he's in. And the jury imagines themselves as we're the chosen ones. We're the ones that have our act together we're the ones going to set, set, the, set the world straight by saying, yeah, they're bad and they're uptight and they're wrong, whatever. And now Paul moves from, from talking, about, talking about the world in general or good, decent, moral people. And now he turns to the jury who thinks that they're going to be the ones they're going to pronounce the sentence on this. And he tells them, you're even more guilty than all the rest of them. Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what's right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. He says you're, you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind a light for people lost in darkness. You have a special relationship with God. And you think, man, these people over here think they're, they're the ones that have all the act together. They, they, everybody else is a mess, but we're okay. And, and, and the reason they think they're okay is because the Bible told them that they were great. They were called from the beginning. The, the Jewish nation didn't start off being a Jewish nation. We're going to read about this in a bit here in Romans. They thought they were the chosen people because God told them, you're my chosen people. You're going to be be blessed. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. And over in Isaiah, you can turn there if you want, or I could just let me read it for you. Keep something here in the book of Romans. But in Isaiah chapter 42, he's talking here both about the, the, the Jewish nation and ultimately the one who would come through the Jewish nation, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and 700 years before that happens, he tells him, he speaks some things about Israel and about the Messiah. He says this, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. You, Israel, my chosen, demonstrate my righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and guard you. I'll give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you'll be a light to guide the nations. You see here, you're convinced a light for people who are lost in darkness. You'll be a light to guide the nations. You'll open the eyes of the blind. You'll free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. 
The reason they thought they were all that is because they were all that. God had told them, you're my chosen people. Uh, you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. And yet what's interesting here is the very first lines of that of verse 17 where he says, you who call yourselves Jews. He doesn't start off and say, okay, now let's talk to you, the chosen people. And let me talk to you, the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. He says, no, you who call yourselves Jews. What he's implying there is what he's going to develop later on is a big theme here. You can call yourself anything you want. And you think you're the chosen people of God because you call yourself that? Write it down this way for us today because that won't be our deal today, calling ourselves Jews. Hey, just calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you one. You can call yourself anything you want. You can imagine I'm a Christian, I'm all right with God, and you think, and we're going to get to that in just a bit, the false positives that are out there that lead us to maybe sometimes delude ourselves and fool ourselves into thinking we're Christians when we're really, really not. See, the deal is, You're not born into the world of Christian. Becoming a Christian is a decision you have to make at some point in your life. Now, some people make that decision because they come to a church thing, they go to a retreat, they go to Harvest Crusade, they go to something, they hear some, something, and God just something in their hearts. And they have a, like a moment in time where they go, I was lost, and now I'm found. Others of us are like Timothy who Paul writes a letter to in the, in the books of First, Second Timothy, that we were kind of raised around it, and we weren't always in, but little by little by little, God just opened our hearts, opened our minds, and we became followers of Jesus Christ. But just calling yourself one doesn't make you one. Becoming a Christian means this. It means that 2,000 years ago, God showed up in the person of Jesus to be the solution for the problem of sin and rebellion in the world. That our brokenness, the way we were separated from God without hope and without God, and God did all the work here to come here and live the life we were supposed to live, die in our place, the death we, were, we deserve to die, and rise again to give, give us new life. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Some of you, many of you have made that commitment in your heart at some point in your life. Some of you probably haven't. Some of you, you're coming to church today because I'm not sure why I'm here. Maybe somebody told you they, they take you out to lunch afterwards. That's a good idea, by the way, you guys. Don't, don't just invite people to go to church. Bribe them. <laughs> Bribe them with a fantastic dinner or lunch thing afterwards. Something like that. And then some of you think, well, okay, I've, I've been going to church for a while. But there's never been that moment of faith where you go, look, I, I know that I've stepped over that line of faith. If that's you today, you have questions about that. wonder, what does that mean to... Become a Christian on the connection card. Let us know about that. Guys, I'm having conversations. I'm not even sure I see him and her, today, different people here, that have come in here and have begun to experience something here where God's doing something in your heart. When you feel that something, because some of you right now are feeling that thing in here, in your heart and soul, that's the Spirit of God going, hey, over here, pal. Let's go. Step over that line. Anybody here today want to become a total joke? I want to tell good jokes. I don't want to become a total joke. And yet Paul here, from what Justin just read for us, is going to tell you and me, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, especially if you're a Christian, how you can become a total joke to the world around you. Well, then, he says, after you have all this stuff, you're certain 
that the Bible, God's law, gives you complete knowledge and truth, that you've got it direct from God. Well then, if you teach others, wanting to teach yourself, you tell others not to steal, you steal, you say it's wrong to commit adultery, you commit adultery, you condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles, the unsafe people, blaspheme the name of God because of you. Many of us are proud of the fact that we've got a Bible on our phone, that we go to Bible studies and all that kind of thing. He's going to tell us, look, if you're just studying the Bible and not living out the Bible, if you're just proclaiming the Bible and not practicing it, you're a joke to the world around you. Because you go, we should stand up for morality. We should stand up for truth. And Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he goes, but if your life doesn't match up with that, you're kind of silly. There's this great inconsistency there. And he points out some of those things about stealing and honesty, things about marriage uh, and adultery, things about idolatry. But we've looked around. We did a quick little informal poll amongst a bunch of people this week. And I wonder... This is not my list. This is what somebody else came up with. So this is convicting to you. Don't be mad at me today. I'm just the mailman. I'm not writing the mail. I'm just delivering it today. But when it comes to our lives, people now, if you're not yet a Christian, do something else right now or just kind of listen in. This is directed to those of us who are, call ourselves Christians now. When it comes to other issues in our life, things like how we do alcohol and partying, are we any different? When it comes to, uh, to our language, to profane, obscene, dirty language, when it comes to, to sex and dating and how we do those kind of relationships, when it comes to divorce and marriage, anger, when it comes to media, when it comes to the media, both our viewing habits of what we're watching and viewing, as well as how we behave out there on social media. <laughs> I've seen some of your sites, seen some of your posts, things like money, how we do money. Is it any different? How we do parenting and family. Is it any different? And he's going to tell us, when you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this book has the way to life, and your life is no different than everybody else, he's going to tell you, would you just quit proclaiming and just start practicing? In fact, I will tell you this. If we had far less proclaiming in the Christian community, and, 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 and if we had one-tenth of the practice of Christianity as we had the proclaiming of it, people will go, there's something different about that. Because then what happens is then your then proclaiming of the truth has some weight and authority as opposed to just saying something and just go, because you read it and heard it in Bible study and stuff like that. Um, and here's the crazy part. The reason we struggle with this is because all of us, innate in every single one of you here today, no, no matter if you are, how old are you guys right here? 19? Whether you're 19 or 59 or 79 or something in between there, every single one of us still have a seventh grade boy or girl in there that wants to be cool and be accepted. I'm just telling you, every single one of us have that inside of us. And so we don't want to be looked at as weird or be looked at as kind of silly and a joke. And so because of that, we don't want to really live that distinctive life that God calls us to live because people are going to think I'm weird. <laughs> Welcome to the club. The first church of Cross Point Church, also known as a bunch of weirdos discovering and following Jesus. 
Because the truth is, at times, it's going to be out of sync with the culture and the world around you. And from time to time, here's what it means to live your life as a follower of Jesus. From time to time, people are going to go, you guys really believe that? Really? You, you, what? And they'll, they'll kind of question your faith. Some of you who are newer to this today are kind of going, yeah, I already think that about you guys already. It's just weird. It's just, what, what's wrong with you? And here's what I want to tell you. If you live your life distinctively as a follower of Jesus Christ, even amongst people who from time to time will go about things that you believe and things that you, you practice, when the wheels come flying off in those people's lives, guess who they're coming to? You. They're going to come to you to pray for them. Because they're, they're, they, when they get the cancer diagnosis, when their kids go off the rails... They're not going to come to their friends that they all fit in with. They're going to come to people and go, that, that guy, there's something about him or her that I see that's different. Not because they just said it all the time, but because they actually, actually did that. If I were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict me? You guys probably heard that line before. Not enough evidence. Would there be any evidence to convict me? And not what happens here at church on the weekends. What happens on, at the school campus, uh, in the carpool pickup line, on Friday nights with friends? Is there anything out there that go, there's, there's something different there? Now, I probably need to make a note here. This does not mean you think, I know how to be a good Christian. Let's be as weird as possible. Some people think, let's just be weird and crazy and stupid. I'm not talking about that. Just everyday life, how we handle some of those issues we even talked about here when it comes to stuff, are, are we distinctive at all? And yet the Jewish people back then were the chosen people, and they go, yeah, Paul, we got signs to show that we believe in God. And the next thing they talk to is what we're going to call good spiritual practices, things like going to church, things like joining a small group, things like serving in a ministry, all kinds of stuff you can do that are great spiritual practices, getting baptized. Verse 25, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. Circumcision on Super Bowl Sunday. Here we go. <laughs> Has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile, is what they would kind of do when they would say that. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. Now, what's this whole deal with circumcision here? Some of you that are new to Bible study, new to church, and God, let me give you a quick history lesson. Back when God came to a guy named Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. You're going to be my chosen people. And he said, I want to give you a physical sign, something that will irrevocably mark you as my chosen people. And God said, circumcision. I don't know why God said circumcision. I don't know why I didn't go get some, you know, some cattle brand with a G on it or Jehovah on it and go Psh, and brand people with it. He chose circumcision. Uh, and here, here's the crazy thing about circumcision. <laughs> Today, when they circumcise babies, they, uh, boy babies, it's like, what, eight days old when they do that? Something like that? It tells us in the Bible, when God says circumcision, Abraham, he had to circumcise himself. 
Yeah, think about that for a bit. Just to <laughs> you imagine that conversation with Sarah afterwards. Abraham, what did you do? What is wrong with you? Well, God told me I'm supposed to... Well, if God told you to go sacrifice our firstborn child, would you do... Oh, that's another thing coming later. <laughs> totally ripped off from Jim Gaffigan, those of you who've heard his special. And yet the idea with this is not just the... It's a little funky and weird. I don't quite get it. I understand. I guess when you make the universe in seven days out of nothing, you can decide what the mark is going to be. But he, that's what he chose there. And, and yet over and over again in what we call the Old Testament, God is going to hammer and hammer and hammer at them and says, look, I don't want you just circumcised in your body. I want your heart and soul to be circumcised to me. Now, if you're hearing that going, you're new to this, you're going, what, circumcised my soul? Like, what, is that? what does that mean? It's this idea of, don't get too literal with it here. It's this idea of being irrevocably marked by God. Not just your body, because anybody could do that. I want your soul 100,000% marked by me, that you, that, I'm, that, you, that you belong to me, that I've chosen you. And he's going to tell us this, that good spiritual practices without change are silly. Good things like church, small groups, good, good things like, like back then, getting circumcised, God's going to hammer home. If all you are is circumcised in your body, you're a joke. I got something way more significant than that that needs to be happening. That needs to be an, an outward symbol that your heart has been absolutely set apart to me. Your heart has been marked 1,000% by me. The modern-day parallel for this, guys, for us here now in the 21st century is probably not circumcision as being God's mark on our life. It would be baptism. Baptism is now the public demonstration that my heart has been baptized, has been changed. And here's what baptism is. Baptism, we do it by immersion over here in the pool over here, um, is not an idea of, okay, you have to go in the water because you're dirty and you, gotta, you don't just need a little bat. You need to get all the way in. Some people think that. It's not a purification thing about, about water cleaning you up. It's more a profound symbol of that just as Jesus was on the cross, he died and was buried and then rose again. What we're saying here is that's happened to me now, God, because I've believed in you. Because 2,000 years ago, you lived, died, rose again. I need that to happen for me. And so if you've ever been baptized as a Christian, some of you took the baptism workshop a few weeks ago, we'd love to talk to you what it means to take that step of faith and get baptized to show that, that my heart now belongs to God. But if all it is is some outward symbol, it's kind of a joke and kind of silly. He's going to tell us here, let's, let's kind of re, not reread it, let's, let's put our 21st century into this, what Paul might say to us today if he were chatting with us today about this. Verse 27, in fact, unbaptized, unsaved people who keep God's law will condemn you Christians who are baptized and possess God's law but don't obey it. He's going to tell us, look, just the symbol doesn't matter. Now, the symbol's important, but if all it is, it's some outward thing. If there's a guy here, I'm not even sure I see him yet today because he's been here a few times talking about getting baptized, and he said, look, I don't want to do this yet, 
Because I don't want it to be just this thing like, okay, yada, yada, done, and then I, did my, I jumped through my hoops. I want, there to, I want to get it in my heart and soul. But we'd love to talk to you about what that means. He's going to say good spiritual practices, church, small groups, giving, serving, all of it, without, without real change in my heart are silly. Four, verse 28, you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision or the ceremony of baptism. No, a true Jew, a true Christian, is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, true baptism, is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's not just boom, boom, jump through the hoops, be done. Rather, it's a change of heart. You see it again? A change of heart produced by... Not by me, by God's Spirit, a supernatural work of believing in faith that Jesus said to trust him and believe in him and he would change me. That's what becoming a Christian is. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. What Paul is trying to get us to do, to say, say here, is there's all kinds of ways to judge what is authentic and inauthentic faith. I want to give you, first of all, not what authentic faith looks like. We'll fill that one in a second. I want to give you the false positives that he identifies right here in Romans. The ways that people oftentimes think, well, because of this, that makes me a Christian. He says, you're not a true Jew, true Christian, just because you were born into a Christian family. The first false positive is my family. Some of us think, mom and dad were Christians. I was born into a Christian family. I went to church. And so whether I follow Jesus or not, whether my faith is in Jesus, I just kind of got grandfathered in, literally. I want to tell you that I heard a guy say it years ago, God doesn't have any grandkids. No grandkids. You, you don't get in because mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. You get in because you made that decision. You become the child of God. You don't just get in because mom and dad were. The other one, he says, because you were born into the Jewish race, the Jewish culture. It's your culture and your country doesn't get you in either. Your culture and country will not get you in with God. That's not authentic. It's a false positive. That's important for us today, especially here in the United States of America. Um, the narrative is, is that we were founded on Christian principles. I'm not sure everybody was Christian. They weren't trying to set up a Christian nation when they came here. But certainly the Bible and, and the way of Jesus and Christianity was, a, was like clearly part of the, the framework that was there. But he's going to tell you today, just because you were born in a nation that says in God we trust, doesn't matter. You've got to trust God. You have to take that step of faith. You don't just get in because, well, I'm American. American's kind of a Christian nation, so I guess on the little census thing, I guess I'd have to check off Christian uh, if that's me. That's not how it's identified. And then the other one he says is not even my religion makes me right with God. Paul here over and over says, right? You can do a lot of very religious practices, but if your heart is not right with God, it doesn't matter. Uh, any of those kind of things. Um, the key thing here, authentic faith is not my family, my culture, my country, or my religion. Authentic faith, as you can fill it out now, is my heart is right with God. He says it twice here in those two verses, that my heart has been changed by God. And then you go, okay, so what does that mean, Paul? My heart's right with God? What's that mean? And he goes, I'll tell you what it means. He's going to say this, a person with a changed heart, 
the clearest sign of a person with a changed heart is a person who seeks praise from God, not from people. I wonder today, there's a a little question, the clarifying question here is who or what's in that blank for you? And there's a little sentence, I live for the approval of, nothing's going to come up on the screen here. You know why? Because you got to fill that blank in. All of us have a they out there or them out there that we care about what they think about us. Sometimes it's uh, what psychologists call the imaginary audience. This idea of someone, uh, sometimes it's a person or two. Sometimes it's kind of a, a group of people around us that we care what they think about us. Their validation and their approval is so important to me. What they think of me is crazy, crazy important. What Paul's trying to tell us here is what Jesus thinks of you is way more important than what your dad or mom said or thought about you. Way more important than what your, watch out, your children think of you. Way more important than what your spouse thinks of you. Way more important than, let's move it out of the family, for those voices that get in our heads sometimes. Sometimes for some of us, it was that voice in our head. It goes back to fourth grade or eighth grade or 12th grade or 20-something. Our first, sometimes it was a teacher, a coach. Sometimes it was a boss. Sometimes it's like a spiritual leader, like a pastor, somebody you really look up to and respect, huge. Sometimes, too, in the workplace, it's people in the workplace that we call like our professional peers, And there's someone there that you really respect and like and think, man, if I could just live up to to those expectations, if I could get the validation approval, if I I could get there. And so what we'll do is, okay, I just want to live up to those. If I could at least get to that line and we get there, look look, look for that kind of approval, that kind of validation. Or we think, here's what I'll do. I'll exceed that line. I'll go to that next level here and I'll show them. I'll show them. And then sometimes what happens, just talking to somebody before church, sometimes when you have been told you're a piece of by a bunch of enough people, especially especially by a person that you really love and respect at some key formative place in your life, you'll get to places in your life you go, you know what, you're right. I suck. The world would be better off without me. What am I doing here? Shame and guilt. Just get in there and you think you're worthless and all that because you're living for the approval and validation of someone you're never going to get, never going to get it from. Um, Oftentimes, living for the approval of people comes from a place of hurt, comes from a place of somebody wounded me, somebody said something to me or about me, and they may may not even have been aware of it when they said it, but when they did it, and I know, here's what I know, I've read enough biographies of successful athletes, uh, successful business people, successful pastors, to know this, that uh, some of the most successful people I know are wildly insecure people who have that voice in their head that's telling me, you're never going to be that. You're never going to be that. And you're never going to be, I'll show them. That, that line, revenge is the best success, you know what that is? I'll show them. I'll show them. I'll show, even if I screw up and fail, I'll show them. I can rise above that. I'll, I'll, I'll be better than that, that, that piece of whatever that told me I was a piece of whatever. 
Um, and what, the tricky part with that is, is it's never going to be enough. When you're looking for that approval of that person in your life who somehow hurt you or you respected, and they may not even have hurt you. There may have just been, you just looked up to them so much right here. And you think, if I could just get there professionally, spiritually, financially, maritally, parentally, whatever it might be, if I could just get there, that'd be awesome. And the truth is, you know what happens? If you're living for the approval of that person, you never get there. And here's the crazy tragedy of it all, is that person has long since stopped thinking about you. And they're still living rent-free inside your head. And that's why what Paul is saying here, the sign of someone whose heart has been changed by God, who's been marked by God, is they don't live for the approval of some. They live for the approval of one. And his name is Jesus. And what Jesus thinks about me is way more important than what everybody else thinks about me combined. And when we get that in our heart and soul, that changes everything. We, he's going to say this. All of us, you'll see this week, on the uh, inside of your note sheet, there's this thing called intersect. It's follow-up questions we do here. And there's verses there that talk about what it means to fear God versus fearing people. Does that mean people fear God, be scared of people, be scared of God? I think a better way to look at it is this. We're going to care what someone thinks about us. I'm going to care what people think about me, care what that person or that person thinks of me. I'm going to care what God thinks about me. And once you get that straight, guys, once you get that not just in your head up here of what, what I'm supposed to do, once that gets into your soul, here's the beautiful part about it, is it's no longer today about, come on, quit living for the people out there. I want to give you some hope today, give you some joy and some inspiration here on Super Bowl weekend. If you will live for the approval of one, it means you can live with, first of all, nothing to prove. Our world out there is full of people, all we're doing, trying to prove, trying to prove that they're good enough, trying to prove that I'm rich enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We're doing that, living with something to prove. I want to prove something. And here's the crazy part is, sometimes even in religion we do this because of authority figures in our life, we think God's like that. So in order to get God's love and earn God's love and receive his grace, I've got to live up to a standard. If I get to a certain place, I've got to live up to it. I've got to prove my love. I've got to prove it. And God says, no, you don't prove anything to me. I prove my love for you. And once you receive that, once you get that God loves me all the way, it means I don't have to prove anything even to him. Because here's the crazy thing, guys. Don't miss this. Poll today. Don't, don't raise your hands. Those of you who had a great week would powerfully raise your hands. Those of you who had like an average week, maybe. I don't know if anybody had a week or a month where you went. I'm a disaster. And not like, ha-ha, I'm a disaster. But like, I'm not even sure I'm sitting in church today. God cannot possibly love you any more or any less than he does right now, no matter what your resume or record has been, period. And once you get that, <laughs> that I proved myself to be completely unworthy of God, and yet 
He loved me anyway. You know what happens with that? It changes you from the inside out. When you get that grace that just goes inside your soul, you live with nothing to prove. And then, 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 then worship and obedience to God are joy, not about trying to measure up and prove myself to even God. We live with, number one, nothing to prove. Number two, we live with nothing to hide. We talked about it last week uh, in the message where God's going to someday judge our secret life, which means God's not going to look at the outward appearance because you can fool a lot of people, right? You can make everybody else think you're awesome, beautiful, and amazing. God goes, I'm seeing it all. And when you get that, it means like there's this healthy sense of like, well, <laughs> I should probably care what God thinks because not just people think, because I can fool a lot of people, I can't fool God. Which means you start to walk with, even in the secret places that nobody knows about, you go, I should probably get to work on some stuff there. It also means, though, with, with nothing to hide, that I can just quit faking people out. I can sit in my small group and go, what I looked at in the computer this week, a joke. My marriage right now, my kids, whatever. You can be honest about that kind of stuff. Authenticity is the big buzzword in our, in our communities right now. And it's all, I'm authentic and real. What we're doing is we're faking being authentic. Like, look how authentic and real I am. As opposed to like, here I am. And just let, let that be there. And when, that, when you do that, you stop hiding. And you have to stop faking and pretending that you're better than, you're, than you are because you're not living for everybody else out there. God already knows what a hot mess disaster you are. Knows it all the way, pal. And it loves you all the way. And I'm just telling you today, there are, I don't know who you are today. Some of you need to get that from here in your head to right in here in your soul. Our prayer every week for you guys is that you have somehow experienced that love and that grace of God that goes beyond a great worship set we're going to have here in a bit. It goes beyond a fantastic message you hear once in a while. It goes beyond the, how warm and friendly the church is and just something gets, lands into the, into the fabric of your soul and you get that. You live with nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and then number three, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. You know what that means? Okay, I'm, some of you are wondering, okay, should I have a kid or not? I'm not ready. Should I get married or not? I'm not ready. Should I become a Christian or not? I'm not ready. Guess what, pal? You're never going to be ready. When you have nothing to lose, when you get a God who loves you infinitely all the way, you just go, here's the deal, man. Even if I fail miserably, it doesn't matter because I'm not living for his and her approval. God loves me all the way. And it gives you the chance to fail. Guys, 20 years ago, I moved out here from North County, San Diego to start Cross Point Church. You know what the stats are on churches that get started? How many of them make it? Not very many. And yet there's a sense of, okay, even if this fails, all right. Because I'm not living, go, oh my gosh, what is my denomination going to think about me? What are a few pastor friends that I have that are going to look at me and go, hmm, Steve, you couldn't do it? Who cares about them? Jesus loves me all the way whether I fail miserably or not. And guys, even if you fail miserably and it's your own dang fault and you screwed it up, loves you all the way, which means you can take all kinds of risks in your life because you got nothing to lose. We're going to take a, a, a few moments here to sing together some great songs about this amazing grace and amazing love of God. 
I'm going to steal these lyrics for a second. I'll put them back in a second. I am not what I make. I am who you have made me to be. I am not what I've done. I am loved unconditionally. I am not loved by the measure of love that I bring. I am not who I know. I'm known by the king of all kings. We're going to sing that together today. We're going to sing another song as well. That you're going to love the second song here. It has so much just gospel, grace, truth, amazing stuff embedded in it. If you're here today and you got stuff going on in your life and you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is the back of the house. People will be getting up, moving around the room for different reasons. If you have stuff going on, and I know, your, I know enough of your stories. I'm not going to look at you in the eye right now, but you know who you are. How about you quit living with nothing to prove and nothing to hide and just go, here I am. And maybe you go, I've been there every week for four or five weeks in a row now. Here I am again. And just come and let people pray with you and pray for you about that. In the four corners of the room, there's communion. It's bread and juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross in our place for our sin. The crazy thing, guys, is he did this. Paul's going to hammer this home and hammer this home and hammer this home. God did not die for you because you got your act together. Because you go, man, what an idiot, what a moron I've been. God, I'm so sorry or whatever. No, we were giving God the finger and go, go away and leave us alone. And in that state, God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give myself for you. And he became a human being with real flesh and blood, was crucified on a cross to take the wrath and judgment that your sin and your, your rebellion deserved. And so he tells us all the time, forget about yourself. Forget about yourself. Forget about yourself. Remember me. And so Jesus today, God, it's not about who we know or who knows us. Not about what we have or haven't done. Not about our wild success or our abject failures. It's not about positive self-esteem or God in places of men. Our self-esteem could not possibly get any lower right now. God, we need your grace to move from just a theological concept to move into our hearts and souls. God, I'm just praying today for a few friends today. They need to know what you think about them right here, right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.